This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of The Perilous Fight, Overcoming Our Culture's War on the American Family, written and narrated by retired neurosurgeon and politician Dr. Ben Carson. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Whew. Got to get back to the got to get back to the game. Got to get back to I'm the saying, game. I'm saying, I'm saying it's been a minute. It's been a been a minute, been a minute for your boys. Dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic. Dynamic voices for a diverse church, powered by the Witness, a Black Christian collective. I'm your host Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter as long as it's available, and also. Uh. On- Grab at Burns Clan. Please follow at your own risk. And joining me as always is man, I don't even know what to call this brother anymore because of what I'm about to tell y'all. But he is, of course, the founder of the witness. He is the man, the myth, the legend, the two-time best-selling author, Mr. Blue Check verified himself. Dr. Jamar Tisby, what's going on, brother? You got to tell the people where you at right now as we record this. Oh, man, I am on a different continent. I'm in the motherland, Doc. I'm in the motherland. Dog. I am in Benin, West Africa, in Cotonou. That's where, on, that's where I be. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing trip, man. I'm here with a group called The Dialogue on Race and Faith. It's a wild story. Hopefully, we can do a whole podcast episode on it. Mm, but just... Yeah. A brief preview is that we found, well, somebody in our group uh, found a journal from the 1840s of a white abolitionist who partnered up with a couple of uh, black Christians to hmm. do all kinds of justice work. Uh, took Some of it took him here to Benin. And so we are here learning about um, the transatlantic slave trade from the other side of the Atlantic uh, here for 10 days and how thoroughly appropriate a setting for what we're going to talk about today. Man, that's big time, brother. That's major. That's huge. And I can't wait to hear more about that. But listen, we have to apologize to y'all because we know that the audience has been like, these dudes ain't even talked about Black Panther, and these uh, are two Black Pantherist Negroes. Um, <laughs> Black Black Pantherist. I think that's a new one, and I like. Hey, man, we trying to call, we trying to blaze new trails out here. Listen, I have to apologize. I uh, my family had a situation with one of my family members. I I think it's okay for me to even say, but it's my father. He was in the hospital for a little bit, and um, you know he's okay and feeling better, but. That kind of took all of my energy. So the weekend of Wakanda Forever debuting in theaters, uh, we had to check him into the hospital. So shoot up a prayer for OG, as we call him. Um, Some of you all are familiar with him based upon him being on the podcast. So that kind of took all my attention. And then the Thanksgiving holiday and all kinds of things were going on. Now Jamar's in Africa. So it's it's been a long time. We shouldn't have left you without a dope beat to step two, step two. You you know the oh, you know the drill. Wow, but, wow, that's old school. Hey man, I'm just gonna say we're glad to hear OG is feeling better. Totally understandable about that. Thank you for sharing that, and um, definitely I'm still gonna be in prayer for you and your family. No, I appreciate it, man. You you've been there asking questions and supporting. So I appreciate you and the witness team and Bo and everybody uh, just supporting in that regard. But here we are. Of course, y'all already know. And what's funny is both of us saw this movie on opening night. Which so is we rare saw for this me. movie. Very rare for Jamar. <laughs> Usually and you and not Bo get a chance are talking to talk about, about it. it for like weeks. Um, but I just happen to be, we happen to be in Louisville, uh, where I'll be moving to uh, as we record this in a couple months. And so, oh, hold up, uh, hold up, hold up. Have we announced this? Has this been officially announced on the podcast? Oh, snap. Oh, snap. Oh, oh no, no, pause. Right okay, this. hold up. Okay. Wakanda can wait. Okay, Wakanda <laughs> going to be there when we done. We got food at home. But listen, y'all, we got to ho- hold on. We got a big announcement to make because Dr. Jamar Tisby, Wakanda got to wait because Dr. Jamar Tisby just made a life decision and a massive life choice that's going to change his locale, his geography, everything. 
Tell them, wow. brother. This is major news. This, this is, is this I, a drop we haven't right. made on PTM. I guess we haven't. Uh, it's been public. It's been Facebook official for a while now. But yeah, I'm very, very pleased and honored to um, accept a position as a professor of history at Simmons College of Kentucky, which is in Louisville. And it is a private faith-based HBCU started in 1879. It's got an incredible story that intersects with the National Baptist Convention, with Ida B. Wells, with all these giants of faith and justice. And I'm honored to be going there uh, working under Reverend Dr. Kevin Cosby, who's the president and also pastor of St. Stephen Church in Louisville. Um, I've already started actually working remotely. And then uh, my family and I will finally be picking up from the Delta and, and relocating. So Louisville folks, I would definitely shout you out once I get to the area. I would love to meet y'all. I'm trying to get Tyler, drag him up to Louisville. We do some type of event up there. I don't know, but y'all, y'all, y'all help me work on it. Man, you know, I'm down, man. Anything for the movement, anything for the fam. Congratulations, brother. We are proud of you. Thankful for you. Excited to see you in a black space ready to see what you're going to produce, all the above, all the feels, all the emotions. Bo, drop some hand claps. I'm just going to trust that Bo's going to drop some hand claps right here. Listen, and this is perfect also to tie into what is a black space, even if it is Afrofuturistic, and that is Wakanda. Wakanda Forever came out. We both saw it on opening night, as you heard, and we got some thoughts. Now, if you're expecting for us to do something exhaustive, as you can tell, we're not going to go too, too far in depth. We got a podcast for that. Y'all like, look, man, where's the where's the details? Where's all this? We got a whole podcast for that. It's called Once Upon a Time in Wakanda. And Bo and Aaron did a tremendous job in my absence of holding the fort down and giving you that in-depth, that comic that, you know, that, 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 that you want from us, you know, the, the perspective. Well, they geeked out on it. They geeked out. Oh, they geeked out. Now, for us, we're going to talk about some high-level conversations that people have been having. But first, Jamar, what did you think of Wakanda Forever? What were your initial reactions? And then now, a couple of weeks later, how do you feel about the movie? First of all, I cried real tears. <laughs> like, I was Dog. emotional all the way through. Um, Dog tears to the, to the nth I'm degree. I'm saying, I'm saying, uh, it, it, it took me back to when we found out that we lost Chadwick. Um, it also took me back to the exact moment I saw the, the first Black Panther in the movie theater and how I felt um, there. Just the sense that we have a place we can call home and it's not broken down or busted up. It's not trying to get up over oppression. It is a place of flourishing, uh, Afrofuturism, as you mentioned. And I remembered that feeling. I remembered that sense as well. But then, you know, that's blended with the, the utter ache, the real ache of still missing Chadwick, right? So that was, you know, an emotional roller coaster uh, mixed in with, you know, in the, in the, front part of my brain kind of evaluating how did they how did they do this is this going to be equal to better than worse than the first one how did they handle xyz all of that on top of it i was there with my son who doesn't usually like marvel movies yet uh he's mm. still into mm. sort of animated shows and and whatnot so it's 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 a it's a, it's it's a haul especially with a movie this long but he really liked it too so I was just glad we got to share that moment together. Um, and the last thing I'll say is there's a small set of movies that you really need to watch with a Black audience. It ain't every movie. Mm. It ain't even every movie with a Black cast. But a movie mm. like Black Panther, the first one or this one, is a movie that I think I would have enjoyed much, much more if it had been a predominantly black audience, which it wasn't. Because there are there are certain moments in the film, whether it's moments of surprise, they had a lot of big reveals in the movie, or 
just sort of like inside black culture, black jokes kind of thing that the audience, had it been predominantly black, would have responded to audibly, vocally. And it would have made, I think, such a richer experience as it was. Mm. I'm the only one laughing out loud. I'm the only one clapping out loud. I'm the, you know, it's almost like, it's almost like going to a church that's really like buttoned up and stiff and you're the one who wants to raise your hand and clap and shout. You might still do it, but it sure would be nice if other people (laughs) had that spirit about them too. So those were my, my overall impressions um, the first time watching it. How about you? You know, it's interesting because I really did not know what to expect heading into Wakanda forever. And I actually think that it's hard to even analyze the movie as a movie and to break it down as a movie, it's almost as though it's doing a disservice to the experience because it's really a meditation on grief and it's a meditation on the depth of grief of having lost someone who is not just valuable to you, but valuable to your cultural community. And how do we move forward while losing an icon? And so it's really a little bit of a public exercise. And I think that's why it felt so close to home for people, not just because we recognize Chadwick, not just because we like the character he he portrayed in Black Panther, but because when we lose icons in our local or national or regional context, or even within our church community, who have meant so much to so many people, how do we reckon with that while still moving forward? So it was very difficult for me to judge the movie walking out of it. But especially with the length of the film, it felt like we went into waves of grief, not just because of Chadwick, but halfway through the film, spoiler, obviously, uh, for this uh, review, halfway through the film, we're having to mourn uh, Queen Ramonda. We're having to mourn the loss of Angela Bassett as well. And that led me to, I think, one of my critiques, which is I would love to experience these characters without tragedy. Would love to experience uh, these characters uh. without uh, Black trauma porn. Like, I would love mm. that. I would love if we didn't have to kill off the entire royal family for there to be a mm. substantive conflict. Um, so that, to me, made it hard to judge the film. But the more I've sat with the film, the more I've enjoyed it. I have not gone to see it a second time, which is shocking. Went to see the first one probably four times, five times in the theater. I'm not mm-hmm. going to see it again. Part of it is life and time. My schedule looks totally different now than it did then. And then obviously the situation with my family makes that very difficult. But then secondarily, I think it was very hard for me to uh, make the commitment emotionally again. Right, right, right. So now I've got to make another commitment to the film. And it wasn't that I didn't want to. It was just that it was hard for me. Secondarily, I think, you know, kind of moving into the, the, the second phase of my thoughts, the addition and the adjustment, because most, most people know this, but uh, Namor is a character who is really Black Panther's chief antagonist in the comics outside of Killmonger. And so the incorporation of Namor in a place like Atlantis is something that was going to come in Black Panther lore. But due to Aquaman and DC, their comic portrayal of Atlantis, for Ryan Coogler to shift it to a Mesoamerican take on Namor was was absolutely brilliant and daring, and it worked phenomenally well. Mm. And it worked in a way I was not expecting for it to work. And I I think beyond that, the broader conversations that it brought up, which we'll touch on here in a second, led to kind of this feeling of, wow, there's something rich to be dealt with in mind here. And this is a Ryan Coogler stand podcast. This is a Ryan <laughs> Coogler um, honor space because what he has done with two films, people still are not getting and grasping the level and degree of difficulty of the concurrent conversations he had in the first Black Panther film. Mm-hmm. That there are five different inner circle intra community in-house conversations that he's having at layers in the first film while wrapping it in a comic book action movie and then having to deal with losing his main star in real life yeah and then turning it and then rewriting the script 
to being something beautiful. And it is absolutely beautiful. I think when we talk about these supporting characters and these actors who banded together, mm-hmm. every single one of them was at the top of their game, whether that's Okoye, uh, Denai Guerrera, whether that's uh, Lupita Nyong'o, whether that's Angela Bassett, Letitia Wright, Winston Duke, they were all phenomenal and they came through. And I felt like there was this sense of communal joy that we got to mine deeper into these characters Mm -hmm. and we got to build deeper with them. But I kind of want to talk about this from the standpoint of the movies, obviously not without critique or without, um, you know, things that we could pick apart. But I kind of want to talk about this a little bit differently than we've done reviews before, because I want to talk about three conversations that are rising to the surface, right? And one of them is an obvious conversation. The second one kind of is obvious too. But there's a third one that's kind of emerged as well. So if that's okay, Jamar, I think we should talk about these three conversations really briefly and let that be our take on... That's that's a very PTM way yeah, of expressing Yeah, yeah I like it, right? this approach. We, 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 we got to do the list and I think we'll, we'll, we'll cover enough ground there. Again, this is... A, a second conversation about Black Panther, and you can definitely listen to Aaron and Bo if you want even more. But but let's get into it. What are what are, what are the three kind of questions, topics, themes you want? Yeah. So I think number one would have to be how does the film handle Chadwick Boseman's mm. departure, mm. and did the film do it justice? I, you know, there's this funny meme going around. Uh, that when you realize, you know, that shocked face, when you realize none of the Avengers came to Chadwick or to T'Challa's funeral, right? None of them came to T'Challa's funeral while every one of the Avengers was at Tony Stark's funeral, right? And it's kind of this internal black Twitter joke and all this. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm so glad that the, the, the country of Wakanda and the people who lost T'Challa in the film did not have to grieve in front of white eyes. Ooh. I'm really glad. I'm glad that they could have a full meditation and representation of their grief in their way, with their custom and their culture, without feeling as though they had to do that in front of people who don't even really value their culture and can't value their culture in the same way that they do. It's one of these phenomenons, and I feel this way specifically because I I do Black funerals. And as a pastor, I do a lot of funerals. And the Black funeral is a little bit different than another other types of funerals. I've done other types of funerals where we were the minority, even though we were officiating the funeral. And in that context, the, the levels of grief People don't understand that there, there's wailing, there's screaming, sometimes fighting, uh, there's laughter, there's celebration, there's worship. There's all these things that take place in a 60 to 90 minute uh, moment for the family to, to put their loved one to rest. And when other people from different cultures come in, it's almost as though they cannot grasp what in the world is going on. They can't grasp what's happening. And it feels awkward to try to mitigate your emotional responses Mm -hmm. in a moment like that to make them feel more comfortable. No, I'm glad they got to do what they got to do in Wakanda, how they needed to do it, the way they needed to establish it. And sure, it would have been great if we had a delegation and things like that. And and I'm sure that would have been a great thing. We know that that's primarily budgetary, right? You you get these people (laughs) in, shoot. They're going to they're gonna charge you money. I don't care who's who died. They're going to charge you money, right? Yeah. But I personally believe it was really powerful to see them grieve without having to withhold their response or mitigate their response and experiencing it how they felt like they needed to. And I felt like that was freeing for us because it didn't feel like, hey, this is a... No, this means something different to our community that we lost to Chala slash Chadwick Boseman, right? That's how I kind of felt. That was my first initial thought about, you know, them (laughs) processing his grief. 
Yeah, that's the straight up pastor's mind. Like, okay, how how are we gonna handle the, the funeral, the bereavement? Yeah, the who got the body? Right? <laughs> who got the body? Every, yeah, exactly. You know, uh, that makes sense. That makes sense. I was very curious going into the film how they would deal with the character of T'Challa dying. You know, obviously we know what happened to Chadwick. Well, how do you, how do you do that to with the Black Panther, right? And so. I appreciated that the film dove right in. You were, you, it wasn't a build up to his death. It wasn't even in the past. You know, they, he could have, uh, Ryan Coogler could have just had it as um, he died and they pick up after that and not even really go into it. So I do appreciate that they, they tackled it head on because it would have felt like a gap. It would have felt like something was missing. It would have felt like um, we didn't quite get the sense of, uh, closure, even with the funeral, if we hadn't walked through that part of it. That being said, it felt a little clunky uh, storytelling-wise to have hmm. um, T'Challa, you know, not with all of the technology of Wakanda, they couldn't save him. And I get what they did. How they did it was he didn't hmm. tell him he was sick. I understand that, and that's literally what Chadwick Boseman did for a lot of folks, except his very inner circle. So one would have thought that as he wrestled with his duties as, as king and just an individual who's sick, he would have put in place a plan, a succession plan, if for the only reason that I'm not going to be here, what's, what's happening next kind of a thing. Or he would have let an inner circle know. So we see, you know, um, we see this, the mad scramble to try to find a cure at the last minute and it's too late. And I'm like, but you know, in the last film they had uh, Ross who had a bullet in his spine or something, transported him all the way. Yeah, home. within yeah, like 24 hours, he good. Yeah, you know, I'm like, it feels like, wow. in, and, and even if they couldn't find a cure, it feels like there's something that could have prolonged it. So just from a storytelling perspective, it was like, eh, okay, I mean, I don't know how you do it better, but that 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 felt a little strained to me. Other than wow. that, though, oh man, the way they honored that man, yeah. And I only I, I think it could only have been done because I don't even think it was what was said; it was how you knew the actors felt, yes, in real life about their friend and their colleague, yes. which just couldn't help but come through the character. So I felt, you know, in terms of how an actor makes an audience feel, I felt how Lupita and, and Winston and Angela and uh, Leticia may have felt yes. losing someone we've only seen it on screen, but they've been walking with for years in this very intense experience. And I mean, like you said, they were all on their A game. And I can only imagine how much harder it is to be on your A game as a performer, as an actor, when you are truly grieving and yes. then you have to go through and do this character again. So shout out to all that, that crew. Yeah. And I also love that the, the grieving felt very three-dimensional, right? It felt like there were some people who were dancing and playing drums, others who were weeping, uh, others who were just stoic you know, in, in shock, it felt very believable because it, it is believable, right? It's what they're really having to navigate um, as they're filming this. But your comment about the technology element is fascinating because there's a couple of arguments here, right? So the argument is they could have had a movie, Wakanda Forever, could have been set during the snap. So it could have been set during the moments where, you know, T'Challa had wasted away, but was coming back, right? So it could have been set during the snap or it could have been set in a different timeline with the multiversal elements. It could have been set differently. And that would have mitigated this idea that Wakanda somehow in this one place when it's most necessary for them to be a technological giant and geniuses, they can't come through. But right. I love that because it, it showed the permission for i love that it it was honest enough to say while the wakandans 
are brilliant and intellectual and in many ways superheroes, they're not gods and they're not magicians. So people will die and people will fail and people will make mistakes. And just like T'Challa did in the first film, people will make political miscalculations and they'll do things that are unwise. And that's just part of the, the nature of who they are and the nature of their humanity. And so I liked seeing, not liked in terms of enjoyed, but it was so palpable, that opening scene, the scene of Angela Bassett coming in and saying he's gone, he's with the ancestors, the scene, which I, I love that language, right? Yes. Um, because that's yes. really how we feel about Chadwick. The, the scene of the frantic nature of Shuri looking around, trying to trying every DNA match that she can again and again and again and again. And I, I appreciated seeing that humanity because it made me believe that these characters are accessible, that they're not gods, you know, that they don't have superpowers um, outside of what they technologically advanced to. They, they're real and it felt real. And it felt like those moments for those of us who have lost people who are close to us of frantic uh, disturbance and, and what can we do and how quickly, how quickly can we get them to help and to the hospital and to these things. And, and, and so I, I think that's a good critique. Yes. It feels a little hollow. Why what, if the place that's the most technologically advanced can't save their own King. But isn't that kind of how it is often? Yeah. You know, that's kind of how it is I mean, sometimes. Obviously, they couldn't have foreseen what happened to Chadwick Boseman in real life. So they couldn't have, quote unquote, set it up, right? But if you think about every other, quote unquote, defeat that the Wakandans faced, it was like, it was like all off campus. <laughs> like, uh, you know, yeah. when uh, T'Chaka killed his brother, that's, that's, that's in California. Even when um, Killmonger is killed, it's by an equal. You know, right. it's right. not a failure of of technology. Even in the battle in um, Avengers Endgame uh, or Infinity Wars, they still have the shield. And the only way they were defeated is when half the universe's population is defeated. You know, it wasn't yeah. like a failure of Wakanda. So anyway, it just. There was no indication prior to that. Oh, and, and, and when T'Chaka was killed, right? That's our campus too. So there was no indication that within the kingdom, <laughs> something like this would happen. Wow. Um, so, so that's all. It just, it just yeah. again, it was impossible to set up because I didn't know it was coming. But then when it came, I was like, uh. and then, and then it, this could be seen either as full circle or mm -hmm. a disruption because Shuri was able to synthesize the purple flower later. Right, right. So she was able to use the technology to regain the, the source of the Black Panther's power in that manner, which you could see as, oh, well, she couldn't save the king before through her technology, but now she's coming through and she's restoring the, the throne in a way. Um, or you could say, well, if she could, <laughs> if she could synthesize the purple flower later, um, you know, why couldn't she do something about this? So anyway, that's no, just that makes sense. Point. No, that makes total sense. I, I completely understand. Yeah. And, and that's a very controversial element. And then the other controversial element that I think, you know, people had in addition to that, which I guess leads us to the second part of this conversation, which is, you know, Chadwick Boseman not being recast you mm. know, by the studio. And Shuri taking on the mantle, which was the obvious choice, obviously, if you listen to us, we've talked about this and in, in on the Wakanda podcast and how Shuri is Black Panther in the comics. And there's actually a moment in time in one of the more recent runs where both T'Challa and Shuri have the power of the Black Panther because the Panther God Bast uh, bestows power to T'Challa, even though Shuri takes on the mantle while he is sick um, and while he is injured, right? And so it's it's kind of a, a, a strange foreshadowing even. But, mm. you know, there was this big conversation and I felt like initially 
that Kevin Feige's announcement, the person who produces all the executive produced all the Marvel movies, his announcement that was kind of very final, which was we have no plans to recast T'Challa. You know, that felt very disheartening to me because I said, I really believe that every child, every black child should be able to see a character and enjoy a character like T'Challa, that this is something that means so much to our community. And so I was part of the initial, we we should recast T'Challa, especially if you give Mm. the, the movie time. So I expected that they would push the movie back. So if you push the movie back, then you can give time. You can give time and space and do tributes and all that, but but don't rob everyone of the character. Now, having seen the film and also with the timeline that they have, it wouldn't have made any sense within this film to recast T'Challa. Now, there were some mm. other options. You could have done the multiverse option, yep. which is actually yep. something they still may do, right? So you incorporate another alt version of T'Challa, who's a famous actor, who can step uh, in and take on that mantle. You know, a lot of people are saying Jonathan Majors or Damson Idris yes. or, you know, whoever it may be. Um, obviously, he can't be Kang and T'Challa, but still, you know, people are saying, you know, oh, it could be Michael B. Jordan because Killmonger is Black Panther at one point. Uh, all of the above, right? Yeah, yeah. But I think for this particular film, it was wise of them not to recast T'Challa because it doesn't take future options off the board but it does give us space to grieve. And I think as an audience, yes. it would have been too jarring yeah. and too uh, overwhelming to just shift and hit that that switch button really quickly and say, well, you know, here he is. I think that would have been, <laughs> been uh, overwhelming yeah. for us as an audience. I And I mean, just going back a bit, that was one of the moments um, when Shuri was revealed as the next Black Panther, where I wished I was in the theater with a Black audience because we would have gone bonkers. Oh, yeah, um, for sure, for sure. That. It was a very powerful scene. Uh, but yeah, I appreciate that. I don't think... So it was, it was handled well overall, in my view, that they did not um, just do a one-to-one recast of T'Challa. They had a Black Panther successor, which is good. Now we still get... You know, the little kids growing up with the, you know, Black Panther character. But we have to acknowledge this Black Panther, the first one, and now the franchise, is so much more than a film. It's so much more than a film. It mm-hmm. is a cultural touch point, particularly and especially for Black people, in such a way that it is not a a franchise you leverage. It is a gift that you steward. Um, oh, that's good, Doc. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. This this can't just be about the next blockbuster hit. This is about stewarding a, a treasure of stories. And it is about almost shepherding people. They're, 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 it was a very pastoral decision, I think, not to recast T'Challa right away. Uh, because you're right, we need that time to grieve. And we need that, uh, it's a process. And it's not linear. And it's not like, you know, time is ever going to erase all of this. But to do it right now would have just been, like you said, too jarring. So I do applaud them for that. And, and I think given the absolute worst case scenario it wasn't a, an injury it wasn't a contract dispute it wasn't even a supporting character you lost your main character a transcendent star who even at a young age had already uh racked up a legendary acting career absolutely and you lost him suddenly how on earth how on earth? So the fact that they even were able to pull together and make this film at all, and then let alone do it well and help yeah. us grieve, golly. Yeah, it, uh, Ryan Coogler is a wizard. Like, I mean, he's Ooh. a wizard. And I mean, the film is still tremendous in terms of its score and soundtrack, mm-hmm. still tremendous in terms of uh, costumes and set design. Uh, still tremendous, right? Um, I think that the hard part at the end was knowing that they didn't just lose Chadwick as a force within the film, but they lost Angela Bassett as well. Come on. Talk and about. 
the gravity of that loss, which again, listen, if, if Angela Bassett is not nominated for an Oscar for best supporting actress, um, the witness is starting a petition. The witness will be starting a petition (laughs) if that does not happen because she was phenomenal. It's like she rose to the occasion in a way that only she could have. And now losing both of the gravity of both of those characters feels very overwhelming about the future of the franchise. And one of the things I wish that maybe could have been done is maybe some more stabilization within the franchise. So, um, you know, you had at the end, Mbaku, you know, stands up and says he wants to challenge for the throne, right? Which he presumably will win because they didn't show it, right? So he presumably will be on the throne, uh, which is a very big decision, especially for him because of the different religions within Wakanda even. Um, that's very fascinating and to see how they'll navigate that. But I think also, I would really just love to see more stabilization within the gravity of the franchise to say we need some some elder statesmen and elder stateswomen who are going to really provide the foundational depth and the gravitas that's necessary. Because as much as I enjoy Letitia Wright's acting, I felt like her turn as Black Panther felt like something was missing so far. And Mm -hmm. I want to give her, I want to give her space and room to grow into the role. And also candidly, perhaps the fact that in real life, she's anti-vax and like, maybe that's clouding my judgment. Right? That was a maybe little that's bit clouding. in the back of my mind too. Yes. Yeah. You know, the chief scientist in the MCU is anti-vax. That feels weird. Mm-hmm. But you know, so so maybe 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 that's clouding my judgment, and maybe that's. But she did an admirable job with what she had. I just feel like she needs to grow into the role more. Mm-hmm. And I even feel mm-hmm. like her turn at the end felt rushed. Right. Like, you know, yes. when, when all of a sudden we don't see Ramonda in the ancestral plane and then all of a sudden she's like, oh, you know, hey, show them who you are. It's like, what? <laughs> like, where, where did that come from? You know what I'm saying? Like, dope, but like also, man, we, we, that probably should have been earned a little bit more. And I feel like there, I feel like Kugler needs some time to figure out how to write for Letitia in that role oh, that's and how to point. write yeah. her into that growth Mm -hmm. and into that Mm -hmm. gravitas but it kind of leads us to another element which is oh you know people i'm hearing from the streets streets are saying men black men got erased streets (laughs) are saying black (laughs) streets saying ain't no black men in wakanda what street they on what street they on i uh, I didn't say which street i was just saying streets are saying it wasn't mlk boulevard i'll tell you that i'm just saying streets are saying (laughs) what you think about that you know black men getting erased jay that is not how I felt walking out of that movie. Like I said before, I watched it with my son. He's 12. And I was very glad that he saw a women-led, women-centered, black women-centered film. And it was it was just what it was. It wasn't some big deal. It was a big deal because we know about the historical and contemporary attempts at erasure of Black women. But the fact that you had this cadre of women, I mean, there was a, a, Ironheart was new. She was, she was inserted in there and some of the other um, warriors stepped up, but really they were, all the elements were there, all the people were there. So it's not like they had to rush and scramble and add new characters and actors. And it actually, I thought there was continuity with the first film because when they thought uh, T'Challa had been killed when um, uh, Killmonger threw him off the the waterfall. Who stepped up? It was it was Queen Ramonda. It was Shuri. It was it was all of the women, right? And so, why would this be any different? And it reminded me. I mean, I was surprised even when when we talked about this before that that folks were were taking that tack. And it reminded me of that that quote: "When you're used to privilege, equality feels like oppression." And I'm not saying this, the guys on this street are saying they feel oppressed, but the fact that you would kind of raise a stink about it means it just goes to show how used to we are as men, especially in Marvel movies, right? We're used to the Avengers having that the token woman um, or the Guardians of the Galaxy, the token woman, right? It shows how used to we as men are 
of being the hero, being the main character, driving the story, and not simply as background characters. All that said, I would say I was disappointed not to see Winston Duke play a more prominent role. He had been set up for that in the first film. He was a breakout star. I think he could have done it. um, But that was... I, I wouldn't have wanted him to do more than he did at the expense of the women who who really did drove, drive the story and did so well. Hey everybody, this is Tyler. This is Dr. Jamar Tisby. And we are excited that you're listening to this episode of Pastor Mike, but let me encourage you to support us. You can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash Pastor Mike. And for just $1 an episode. Just a dollar? Now that's the bare minimum. That's four quarters. But if you want to go higher, okay, 5, go 10, higher. 15, right. 20, 25, whatever it is, that will keep this show going and keep the high quality that hopefully you enjoy. So thank you for listening, but you can take it to the next level. Patreon.com slash Pass the mic. We appreciate you. You know, I think that's really well said, Jay. I think the idea of introducing another guy or random guys in this would have felt very odd and would have been, I think, unfair to them in the specter of us being honest about the fact that, as you said, the women did step up in the first film. These are characters who knew him. These are characters who loved him. These are characters who have relationship with him. These are characters who we got to know. And so I personally feel like it would have been ridiculous. And I actually think that the um, idea that there aren't men in Wakanda, especially considering the councilmen who are there, in terms of the high council, I, I think that's just absolutely ridiculous. Now, here's what I will say. In the first film, I think what people are referencing, the charitable kind, the, not the people who are trying to be like, oh, it's an agenda to replace men, but charitably, the people who are actually thinking about story balance, I would say, okay, you're missing T'Challa, Killmonger for most of the film, T'Chaka, um, Jadoku. Uh, Wakabi. Okay, now you are missing like five very prominent male characters from the first film who were important in, in various ways and various levels, but they're pretty important, right? So from a story balance perspective, sure, you're missing a couple of perspectives that probably you should incorporate. But I think giving the women that space and that room was not wrong, didn't feel deficient, didn't feel like a, a token tokenizing move at all. It felt like that's the, the next iteration of these characters. That's the next iteration of who they are and their growth, right? If you take something like um, in Avengers, in Avengers Endgame, when all the women kind of had that, you know, power up moment. And yeah, they were, yeah. You know, initially I was like, man, I ain't, I ain't going to die on that hill. That ain't that big of a deal. But if you look back on it now, you're like, ah, okay, that kind of feels very like, that that feels a little bit tokeny, you know. That feels like yeah, yeah. That takes me out of the film, right? It's mm-hmm. fine, but it takes me out of the film, right? Because I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, maybe they all did this, and it's plausible that they could, but the chances of that aren't really high in a battle for Earth's future. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just saying, it doesn't, doesn't really <laughs> like, feel like ladies, that's something ladies, that they ladies, do. Come on, everybody, yeah, come to the like spot on the battlefield. I don't care and, who's trying to kill you or the person next to you. Come on, <laughs> we right. gotta get the so, picture. And, Let's go. <laughs> Everybody stopped fighting at that moment. Like to come over there, it's like it doesn't make a lot of sense, right? But um, you know, now looking back on that, that looks a little like, eh, okay, let's not do that. But this doesn't feel like that at all. This feels like not at all. These are the these are the best people to take over. And if one of any one of them became Black Panther, I'd be like, of course, it makes mm-hmm. all the sense exactly. in the world. Well, it. it, it because I had listened to you and Bo, I was expecting Shuri to take on the mantle. And of course that follows the comic books, but I was like, it could be Nakia. Like it would, that I would have loved Outlandis. I wouldn't have been, it would have been a little odd, but it wouldn't have been completely out of her character for even no. Queen Ramonda, you know, or right. Ex- exactly. Just for, just for a moment. And that's actually what mm-hmm. I thought was going to happen. I thought they mm-hmm. were going to find some sort of technology that was going to make it almost like 
people vying for that particular technology so that different people would have to wear it to keep it away from certain people, that it wouldn't be an herb anymore, but that it would be, you know, an article of clothing and something that attaches to your DNA for a set period of time or whatever it may be, right? Um, or to your nervous system or what have you. And so I thought that it was going to jump between different people, right? And I, I kind of feel that I'm glad they didn't do that because, again, it's not about that. Nakia doesn't need to be Black Panther to to be influential. Okoye doesn't need it. Queen Ramonda does. They know they know their space. They know where they're called to be. They know their purpose. And I think even questioning that in the moment when Okoye had to basically put down being the leader of the Dora Milaje, like that's huge, right? Wow. So when that she had to moment, put that yeah. down. That's like, oh, she can still influence. She can still be powerful. She can still be a person who protects Wakanda, even if she doesn't have that title. It just shifts. Right? And it just gives us an opportunity through this storytelling to have actual complex Black female characters in a superhero movie, right? Let's not forget the genre here. It is right. an absolutely male-dominated genre to the point where you you hardly get any sort of complex, multi-layered um, character development of women because there are so few and because so, they so seldom take a central role. So yeah. would we have had that scene when in the throne room when Angela Basket gives her Oscar moment? You've lost yeah. something. Let me tell you what I've lost and, yeah. and just slays that moment. You don't have space for that in a story unless women are central. And again, mm, because it was, does, it was done so well, the first film, um, it didn't feel tokenized in the second, uh, to your point. So uh, you, for me, I felt my evaluation is that it was done well because I didn't, it wasn't a thing when I walked out right. of the theater. Right. It wasn't something that was high on right. my mind. If it did come up, I was excited and glad and thinking about the mo the moment of cinematic history that just happened with this primarily black women led Marvel superhero movie. Right. Yeah, and I think I think that kind of leads me to kind of wrapping up here. I think the the thing that missed for me the more I think about it. I didn't it didn't bother me as much as I left, but the thing that missed for me is Ironheart. And not because I don't like the character yeah. or the actress. I felt like there wasn't enough time to really build that up to be what it should be. That's right. That's right. That's right. And I yep. felt like that was the one thing that I felt like missed. And I felt like, uh, I'm struggling here. Now I get the impetus for it and it makes sense. It just wasn't as believable in that moment. And I feel like Ironheart deserved maybe a different type of introduction yeah. and an yeah. introduction that I feel like could have been even more special for that particular character. Now, maybe all of this is kind of leading us to our third and final area, which is, again, Street's talking, Jay, Street's talking. And Street's telling me that, Street's telling me a couple of things. Street's telling me Namor not a villain. And the Street's <laughs> telling me that Namor's uh, Talakan and Wakanda should not have been fighting each other. They should have been working together to fight the oppressors. That's what I'm hearing. Street's telling me that. <laughs> Which street what is you it? Think is about this the street? same street? Is this the no, same it's a different street? street. It's okay, definitely it's a different, different street. street. Come okay, on, man. It's a right. definitely just a different wanna, street. Just you know, know. I, I had to walk a couple of blocks. I had to walk a couple of blocks. <laughs> I just got to tell where the Uber driver to go. Okay. Um, so, first of all, just to sort of segue from your last point, I agree about Iron Heart and to think about, we could have a conversation this long before we even got to Namor <laughs> and, and, yeah. and that whole dynamic. It just tells you there was a lot going on. And quite honestly, I don't know if the story would have suffered much if we didn't have the Ironheart storyline in it. Hmm. You know, I don't yeah. know. It could have been it could have been anybody, you know, it could have been a lot could of different been people. Anybody, it could have been it could have been more on, on the Ross story, which was really interesting. 
um, in fun way they nah, did get, that. Get, get, get it, get, nah, nah, get them out of here. Get them out of here. <laughs> what I don't saying? need to set up, don't, we don't need to set up Thunderbolts. Get them out of here. Get them out of here. It could have been anybody, and I don't know how, you know, anyway. But to your, 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 your next point, you know, black on brown violence. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we doing this. So we doing this. Okay. <laughs> but I'm not. <sighs> yeah. So there are a lot of conversations to be had in the real world about yes. intra-ethnic, inter-ethnic solidarity um, between black and, and Latino folks, between, um, you know, Latino folks and, and Asian folks between now black people and Jewish people apparently is a, is a thing. Uh, thanks Kanye, but that's another topic. Um, so and Kyrie and Kyrie. So even in the real world, we have so much drama and confusion between people of color. There's not, I don't think there's really a, a sort of predominant narrative about uh, relationships between black people and brown people, because it's very complex. You have a national story. You have like a large Cuban population in Florida. You have a large Puerto Rican population in New York. You have a large Mexican population in uh, Southern California and the Southwest. And then you also have the international story of Central and South America and the dozens of countries that make up those, right? And then you've got, you've got, um, African descended people who are also Spanish speaking, right? So there's all these dynamics. There's there's not even I don't think really a predominant narrative in the real world about our relationships between people different peoples of color. So then when you put it in a story like Wakanda Forever, there's a lot people are working through. So what we have to do is we have to get transported back to um, and an Aztec culture, which as people who are not from that culture or haven't studied it, there's a lot to learn and a lot to take in just from that sort of the, the Aztec uh, elements of the culture that, that, that Kugler brought in. But then you have to think about the, the sort of um, macro level of the story of these two kingdoms fighting one another. So I'm not right. of the opinion that they shouldn't have set it up that way, that the conflict can't be between two kingdoms of color. I'm just saying that it is a lot of sort of mental putting of puzzle pieces together mm -hmm. for to, 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 to sort of analyze and watch and view and try to enjoy, but also understand that story on so many different right. levels when honestly we have at least me as a black person has a lot more work to do to to even mm -hmm. understand those dynamics well yeah i you know i often take from one of my mentors dr uh i said doctor she's not a doctor quite yet but she will be um dr sandra van opstel who talks about collective uh, flourishing right um and when sandra talks about collective flourishing like i think it's really powerful that um we think about communities of color working together. And I think that's powerful to think about the fact that in many cases, of, you know, take your major cities, we would be majority if we were on the same side on issues and, and able to, even if we're not on the same side on every issue, we're actually able to um, organize together and work together on common causes. Now, in this case, uh, Namor a villain. Now, listen, I know everybody's going to try to make this like, ah, well, you know, he's an antagonist. And Ryan Coogan said, well, he's an antagonist. And Okay. Now, when Neymar starts stealing wives, okay, because that's coming. When your boy starts stealing wives, uh, when he start, you know, killing people out of nowhere, when that starts happening in future movies, don't come back around and be like, well, you know, he, uh, he complicated and everything. <laughs> Buddy is, uh-uh, don't do that. I ain't gonna, oh, it ain't gonna be though. no more room. Oh, but he cute though. <laughs> uh, look, hey, look, that's between that's between y'all and God. Work out your own salvation. I ain't talking about how Buddy look. I ain't talking about none of that. I'm I'm saying if if we go in by what we know, 
He's a villain in this context. Now, sure, there is gray in him and there are understandable elements, but I especially want us to be very careful about how it seems like in two movies. It, it seems like we are making it more and more comfortable for violence against black women or the mm. threat of violence against black women to lead to a Well, you know, he complicated. Mm. That's not complication. That's toxicity. That's not complication. That's iniquity. Stop, stop calling that complication. Because when you threaten to kill a black scientist who is a young woman, and when you, when you in Killmonger's case, when you choke a, a black working class woman mm. and lift her above your head, and when you kill your girlfriend in order to protect your cover, don't tell me about complicated. Mm. These characters... These characters are wrestling with complicated and complex ideologies. They themselves had actions that were not complicated at all. Okay, this anti this anti-black. Okay, this is misogynistic. Let's call it what it is. So I'm very I'm very careful about this because we have to be really we are setting a tone here, I believe, where every time someone threatens violence against women. Now we're saying, well, you know, because nobody thinks Claw is complicated. <laughs> like nobody from the first film, nobody's like, you know, Ulysses Claw, he kind of had a point. Nobody, nobody's saying that <laughs> because he don't talk. He don't talk in, in, in dope sentences. He don't put his words together. He don't have some capella and he don't he not cute. So we need to be careful here. And so I, I was very aghast at some of the conversations I'm here. I'm like, no, nah, hold on now. I understand he has trauma and and that affects him. And and I'm not saying there's not a history and a backstory for Killmonger and for Namor. But I'm saying we need to be careful about, well, he ain't a villain. If you threatening to kill, <laughs> well, <laughs> come on now. If, if you just show if, up in Wakanda <laughs> and you like, listen, you do this or else. They're like, hold up, who is you? <laughs> it's throwing like, we don't know who you are. You're going to show up to the, to the queen while the queen's trying to grieve her son and then be like, uh, well, you know what? Uh, uh, if you don't do this, it's, it's about to be on. And everybody's Man, like, you better go eat a starfish. Hmm. Um, right. Exactly. But, exactly. <laughs> in defense of good writing, though, I'll say what what Kugler and the, and the, and the writers have done in both films is move beyond a very two dimensional villain who's easy to hate. You know, you even got glimmers of, of this course. with with Thanos, right? Right. But then when we saw Killmonger, that took it to a whole other level because folks who also killed a black shit. woman, who also killed yes, a black we, woman, yes, by the way, Gamora. Yes. Here we go. And <laughs> black woman. Gamora's um, black. She was the green end. in the film, uh, but uh, anyway. But at least I think what they're trying to do with the also inevitable consequence of having black women in prominent roles is they're also put in, in harm's way. Um, but I think what they're trying to do, and I think what they've largely succeeded at in the films is create a character who is an antagonist who, yes, I think we could safely say is a villain, a villain, but who you're also like, well, they might have a point or what would, at the very least you're saying, I wonder what I would do in that situation, which I think is great writing. Makes it more interesting, for sure. Oh, ab absolutely. Now, this is not that standpoint. This is not from the standpoint of saying, oh, there isn't, there isn't complexity in the ideological realities that are at play and the locational, you know, historical reality of what, where they came from, what they're going to do. All I'm saying is we just need to be very careful as a culture because it seems like we're being desensitized to violence against black women. And I say this at a time where, as we record this, if I'm not mistaken, Tory Lane's trial is happening, right? Mm -hmm. And this is a, an artist mm -hmm. who shot uh, Meg Thee Stallion, um, you know, a fellow artist who is extremely popular, of course. And so again, now these are lines, you know, in double entendres and rap songs and people saying, ah, well, you know, she lying and all this, and she made it up. And, you know, you know, Tory's a great artist and, you know, I'm just hearing a lot of these things. And so perhaps this is hypersensitivity to say, hey, we need to be careful about 
you know, being being desensitized to the idea that black women can experience great harm from characters who we respect and admire for different reasons. And we justify that harm because we respect or admire these characters. And we think, oh, they should be a good guy or they should be this or they should be that or they bring something to the table that's different. I think from Ryan Coogler's perspective, he's writing this to say, okay, how did these countries get together, right? Which is where they end up, right? How do they get to a place of understanding? And do they have to go through violence and bloodshed? Probably not, but it's reality that they probably would. But based upon Wakanda's exceptional action and based upon Wakanda's decision to forgive and Wakanda's decision to, you know, frankly, turn the other cheek, they're able to work together and move forward. Right. When they go That's look. really what we see, right? <laughs> oh, you killed my mom, but oh, hey, I ain't gonna let I ain't gonna let vengeance consume me just like mm-hmm. T'Challa didn't let vengeance consume him in Civil War. Mm-hmm. So I'm not gonna do this, and and just like my brother didn't do it then, so let's work together and let's fight together in the future. And I think that's cool. I'm just saying y'all don't act brand new when Namor gets written differently by a different writer, because that's Namor. Okay. Don't act brand new. Don't 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 come back around and be like, well, y'all didn't say this was gonna I told y'all it was gonna happen. So when it happens, don't be like, ah man, I can't believe that they ruined the character. No, that is the character. <laughs> he is who he thought he is. Okay. I'm just so, saying, I'm trying to prepare y'all for some heartache and some heartbreak. Yeah, and you're also telling us that you're basically a Will Smith fan and you want more black men stepping up and slapping people in defense of black women. So, so this right? would be perfect, right? This would be perfect because people got mad at me for how I talked to, about Will Smith before. <laughs> and people called me out about it. And I said, man, maybe I was too harsh. And now y'all going to say you a Will Smith apologist. <laughs> so this will be full circle. I'm here for it you, all. You Get just, you somebody who can do both. Get you a podcast host who can do life. both. <laughs> No, I just, I just, I think there is a great, I, I really appreciate the conversation though. And I appreciate the conversation, especially as it relates to the people of Talacan, who I treat, uh, uh, Talacan, who I treat a lot differently than Namor, right? Mm. So the people of Talacan are, are different in, because they're following a leader who's been around for hundreds of years, right? And that leader having been around for hundreds of years has some set ideals. And yes, he is trying to protect, but he's also telling them what to do, right? So they're following his lead and and he knows more about the surface world than they do, right? And so he understands a little bit more. He's the one making the threat. It's not a thousand of his people there with him, right? Mm-hmm. He's the one making the threat. He's the one who's saying, okay, somebody was killed, you know, on our on our territory. So now we have to go and avenge. Right? He's the one that's influencing all of that. So it's not to say, again, that it's necessarily all malicious of what Namor is doing, but I sense a lot of uh, cunning and guile in mm-hmm. him. A lot oh, of cunning and guile. That. Yeah. A lot of it, right? And so I'm saying, okay, well, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to give a character who's that clever all the benefit of the doubt. Even if I didn't know anything about the oh, comics no. or, or a character, I'm not going to give that character all the benefit of that. Like, ah, he doesn't know. He has plausible deniability. I don't think Namor does. He's been no. around more than anybody else in the film. I think he knows what's up. And I think he knows what he was doing when he approached in that way. So that's what I would, that's what I would say uh, to kind of close that loop. But go ahead. Well, he all but tips his hand at the end where he's, he's, he's talking to his, one of his lieutenants. who's basically like, yeah, we're going to make them think we're their allies and then when mm-hmm. it's necessary or convenient we'll be where we need to be keep your friends close and your enemies closer right so absolutely yeah he he definitely intimated all of that i definitely respected um it was really incredible the way that they were able to build this underwater world within a film that on this on the surface <laughs> the brilliant brilliant surface, there was so much going on just in wakanda but then my goodness, not only did he build a world, he took that bold stuff of saying, this is going to be uh, an Aztec or uh, 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 Aztec world. And, and here's all of this sort of cultural trappings that most of the viewers probably aren't that familiar with, but we're right. going to weave it in, in a way that feels as authentic as you can be in a, 
underwater, underwater world, right? Um, yes. So you walked away with a sense, oh, there really is this whole other nation. And then back to your point about, you know, black on brown <laughs> violence or what, it, what does it mean that they were pitted against each other instead of against the oppressor, which would be, you know, European descended people or white people. Um, it's almost like they're the only two heavyweights. They're the only two mm. world superpowers in that sense, right? Because mm, mm, they mm. set it up at the beginning of the movie that no other country could come close to Wakanda. So when uh, uh, the queen sets up this dramatic showdown in like the UN or wherever they were and marches in the actual uh, uh, soldiers who were sent in right. undercover <laughs> yeah. To, to to do dirt and it's like oh we we caught y'all matter of fact we got the proof here here they are bring them in bring them in okay so next time y'all want to say something to us just don't so like right. how in that world right. would Wakanda and uh, Namor's kingdom who could if they teamed up there would be no one who could <laughs> right that is true yeah a fair fight right like so yeah. they can go against every um major nation in the world and still come out sparkling. So in a way, they were the only two who could go up. They were the only two heavyweights, right? Yeah, And so exactly. in a sense- Yeah, everybody else is below their weight class. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not gonna punch uh, that. Uh, that we them. know. There's yeah. there's a couple of countries that still have yet to be revealed that I think probably still could give them a go. But, but yeah, that's kind of future talk. And I think also Namor, he acknowledges that. He's like, man, Black Panther, you know, is the most powerful, you know, she's the most powerful uh, you know, character, most powerful fighter and leader on the most powerful nation in the in the world, right? So he even acknowledges after he trades, so it's all right, they better. Like, cool, you know, you got me. <laughs> you know, but we're gonna, we gonna be right here. And so I think you're absolutely right. Absolutely. Well, Jay, this has been um, awesome. There's so much more that we can cover. I'm sure that we may even be talking about this in a couple of weeks. Potentially with our cultural artifacts episodes, maybe who knows? <laughs> might make a reemergence. They might literally be back. But um, thank you so much for hanging with us, rocking with us, everybody. I want to hear your thoughts. What did you think about Wakanda Forever? Where we bugging? Um, is Namor uh, the truth? And I just don't see it. You know uh, what they call him, Aqua Poppy? Is he just Aqua Poppy? <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm blind to it. Uh, <laughs> I've got to go with you on some of your trips to the streets because you be hearing some things that are hilarious. Hey, man. Streets, streets is watching, man. I don't know what to tell you. Streets is watching, man. But uh, thank you all so much for tuning in. Jay on the motherland. Thank you for rocking with us, man. Uh, a full nine hours ahead, eight hours ahead, whatever it is, man. Thank you for rocking <laughs> with us, brother. We appreciate you and we appreciate you as an audience. Let us know what you think and we'll see you soon on the next Pass, Pass the, the Mic. We never do it on time. We never do it in never. the same yeah, place. It's all right. This episode was brought to you in part by United We Pray. United We Pray is a podcast devoted to praying and thinking about racial strife, especially between Christians. Come join us in praying for the unity of God's people.